Hi everyone, my name is PK and here I have Nicola McDougall who is the chairperson of PIPA. It's a really important agency. We'll talk about that and how she's doing some great work in a to kind of bring honesty and ethics and competency back into an otherwise completely unregulated cowboy industry, which is Australian property. Like that's a fact. We'll be talking about that and how you can make the most of her intel, her knowledge to make sure you don't get scammed. We'll also be talking about the role of the female investor. She's actually written two books, The Female Investor and Property Investing for Dummies. So we'll go into that and the psychology of, of male versus female investors and how we can improve both of them. So I'm really excited to, to have her. She's yeah, genuine heavyweight, so to speak, of, of the property industries. Welcome to the Oz Property Investment Mastery Podcast. My name's PK and I help busy people build passive income by buying top 5% growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. Let's just start off with your work at PIPA. Like maybe a lot of people don't even know what it stands for. What is PIPA and what's its goal? Yeah, PIPA uh, stands for the Property Investment Professionals of Australia. We were formed about 15 years ago um, because, as you mentioned, PK, there is no regulation in the property investment advice space. Um, the original founders of the association wanted to create a membership organisation, a voluntary membership organisation, where um, that could lift the standards um, of the people that are associated um, in, in our sector. Um, our members are volunteer, voluntary, you know, they uh, voluntarily um, join our, our association and uh, by doing so they agree to abide by our code of conduct. Um, so by doing that, automatically we are, you know, improving uh, the standards of people that are raising the bar of the people that are in the association or in the industry. Um on top of that, we created a PIPA accreditation program many years ago, which we've seen hundreds of students go through. And uh, once they complete that program, um, they become what's called a qualified property investment advisor member of PIPA. So that is an additional um, training program where... and. Uh, uh, I need to sort of disclose that PIP is not just for buyers agents and buyers advocates. It's actually for mortgage brokers, uh, accountants, conveyances, um, developers, even as anyone educators, educators, it's <laughs> yeah. anybody who finds themselves in the position where they may be giving property investment advice. And what um, the original founders wanted to do and what we continue to do is to go, okay, well, say if you're a mortgage broker and you're sitting there and you end up giving advice to your clients just because it comes out organically, why don't you do our training program and make sure that the information that you're giving them is professional and tailored and, you know, it's like you actually know what you're talking about. Um, so that's what we, you know, why we exist. Um, and we also um, were established to try to secure some regulation um, in the property investment advice space, as you've mentioned, um, we haven't been successful. Do we think we're ever going to be successful? 
Look, on a good day, I'd say yes. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, after 15 years, um, unfortunately, I think it's definitely in the too hard basket. So what do we do instead of just throwing up our hands in defeat? Um, let's grow the brand of Pippa. Let's grow Pippa membership. Let's grow the number of people who can call themselves qualified property investment advisor advisors. And therefore, in lieu of regulation, we can create that self-regulation for the sector. Yeah, because I mean, this is so needed and people who are like kind of half onto it, half clued up, they see the property industry for what it's worth. Even I often get emails saying, what qualifications do you have? You know, what makes you think you can educate people either on YouTube or to your clients? And even sometimes I feel a bit guilty because I'm like, okay, I have, you know, bachelor degrees, economics, finance. I used to be an investment banker. I'm a real estate license holder. I'm a PIPA member. There's nothing I can sort of say, yep, I'm I'm qualified because there is no qualification I can do. If there was, I'd do it, but there isn't. No, that's right. And that's why with the QPIA, we are actually hopeful um, because it is a training program. It's not a qualification. We are actually hopeful of actually getting that um, turned into like a certificate four level qualification. It's actually one of our uh, priorities this year and even starting to work with a registered training organisation. So then it would actually be a bona fide uh, qualification, right? However, in lieu of that, before that happens, it's so wonderful that we literally have had hundreds of people who, you you know, because there isn't a lot of education options out there for people that are operating on the buying side of the transaction. But isn't it wonderful that after all these years, and certainly the last few years, we've seen a massive uptick in the number of people who are going, you know what, I'm actually going to take responsibility for my education and training, and I'm going to, you know, put myself through, and we're not talking about someone like you, PK, who ha- actually has, you know, you do have qualifications and you have tertiary qualifications, you know, but unfortunately there is a cohort of people out there who don't have, well, aren't even licensed, um, yeah. that don't have any additional specialist training. And on top of that, there's some of them, unfortunately, that are calling themselves buyers advocates who haven't even bought their own property, let alone anybody else's. So just to help protect people, like what a, whether it's a course creator or a buyer's agent, Mm. buyer's advocate, some rogue mortgage broker, like what are the no-nos? What are the red flags that people should be aware of to say, okay, that person is demonstrating this, this characteristic or this trait or this practice. I should not be dealing with them. I should not give them that my money. Yeah. But before you even get down to the red flags, I suppose it's vitally important that anybody who is, um, you know, considering working with a property investment advisor or an expert, um, that they do their research on the credentials of that person. You know, even if they start following them on across social media, um, and you've obviously got, you know, people that are what are they called, fin influencers or something like that that have yeah. big followings, but actually are getting paid to spruik particular things perhaps, mm. you know. Um, so anybody that you are that you are sort of putting up on a pedestal and saying, well, that person clearly is an expert, do your research and make sure that they are, right? And that research is as easy as checking out that they're licensed, you know, checking out that they belong to certain industry associations such as PIPA, like you do, PK. You know, that's pretty simple to just, and it, it always surprises me that, that people... Um, I don't know, they get so caught up in it, and I guess people that are, you know, promoting quick uh, get-rich-quick schemes and all of this sort of stuff, you know, the yeah. holy grail of real estate, you know, all of these things. Um, people And because they tap into people's emotions, yeah. 
they're not doing actually the research into is this person who they say they are, do they have the licensing, do they have the experience, do they have the industry association memberships to actually be out there to call themselves an expert. And it's not about the person who can bang the loudest drum. Hmm. It's actually about the person who has runs on the board and who can actually um, who's not just telling you stuff, right? They can show you, you know, it's a, you know, in writing and things like show and tell. It's not just telling you, well, this isn't this great. This is what I do or well, whatever. It's actually about showing you the, you know, the results that they've achieved for clients over the years yeah. and not being, a, and, and certainly if anyone is actually thinking about working with someone, they've done their research, any advisor or educator worth their salt will happily pass on testimonials, references, anything along those lines where you can actually talk to somebody who has actually used that person's services because you can't get a better reference than that. Um, So it's really about people actually taking responsibility for the decisions that they make before they choose to work with someone who may not have their best interests at heart because, unfortunately, spruikers, snake oil, snake oil salespeople have been around since time memorial. Um, they come and go depending on market conditions. Um, but one of the easiest ways that you can ensure that you don't, um, you know, get sucked in by one is to do your own research and take responsibility um, yeah. for doing that yourself before you make any decisions to work with anyone. Yeah, no, re- really well said. And it's it's really hard. Like as let's say I'm a brand new property, and it's so hard because everyone's trying to sell me something, and this person's strategy looks super legit, and they have testimonials. This person's strategy looks super legit. It's the complete opposite strategy, but they have testimonials. It's like you know, it's really really hard and with I, all yeah, the misinformation. A, exactly, and, and I think as well, it's about um, investors um, or home buyers or anyone who's here. Because I think property investment is anyone that owns property, right? I mean, you, it's an investment, regardless of whether it's your home or it's an investment property. Um, oh, obviously, one's more emotional purchase than others, generally speaking. Um, but I think people need to also educate themselves um, on what strategies may be best for them uh, because there is no one-size-fits-all strategy out there, uh, and that is the domain of Spruikers, definitely. They'll be promoting just one thing, whatever mm-hmm. that might be, and it will seemingly suit everybody. doesn't matter if you're single uh, married, how old you are, where you live, what your income level is, what your you know disposable income is, what other loans you might have. Seemingly, there is one holy grail property out there that's going to make everyone a million <laughs> bucks. Well, that's not true. Um, so I think it's important, you know, for investors or anyone involved in property um, as a property buyer to, you know, educate themselves and whether that is through following bona fide experts or reading books or anything like that or working with people who actually, you know, can actually educate them along the way, well, then, again, it's about taking personal responsibility um, before you, you know, before you get, um, what's the word called, attracted by uh, some shiny lights and uh, promises of riches further down the road. Yeah, no, no, re- really, re- really well said. And I almost, I almost think that regardless of how quickly you want to buy a property, 
it's so important to just take maybe two, three, four, five, maybe six months or more yes. and get a diverse range of free education, different podcasts, different YouTube channels, different books, different content. And so you'll get to see who's who in the zoo and then make your mind up. All right. I can really trust this person because I've seen the antithesis of that as opposed to be caught up with the emotion. And just, just on that topic, then, you know, let's sort of um, let's talk about female investors versus male investors. And I'm not trying to go down the path of like feminism or the opposite or anything like that. But I noticed that my audience here on YouTube and on Facebook group, like I was saying before, before Nicola, we hit record is like 70, 75 percent male. And I was concerned. I was like, am I doing something wrong? You know, should should I be am I delivering the message in a way that females aren't, you know, understanding it or mm -hmm. being you know, resonating with it. But then I looked at the actual stats of property investing and it's, it's actually about right. About 25% of all property investors are female. Should that be more? Probably like, you know, it should be pretty even. I don't know how many females in Australia are versus males, but I suspect it's kind mm, of 50, 50, mm, 60, mm, 40. Mm. What, what's kind of your thoughts? Like why? And I, I'm, I'm bringing this up with the intent of helping everyone. What are your thoughts? What is holding females back? Is it the lack of trust in people or how can they actually, you know, take that first step, next step yeah. and invest? And it's interesting that you say that, PK, because um, every year for the last eight years, um, Pippa has done our annual investor sentiment survey, right? Mm -hmm. And um, last year was the first year, which is kind of embarrassing, I might say, that we actually asked the gender of the survey respondents and that's where the 27% of survey respondents identified as females. Uh, and, you know, that survey, we get a couple of thousand of uh, respondents and, and the results last year uh, helped to overturn the Queensland land tax. So, you know, it has it does have gravitas. <laughs> I'm very happy to say, like, the best one of the best professional days of my life. I might have drunk yeah. quite a lot of champagne that night. I think everyone breathes a big sigh of relief <laughs> that day, for sure, including anyway, me. <laughs> um, the reason, so, so my friend Kate Hill and I wrote The Female Investor, which came out in April last year. It won the Personal Finance and Investment Business Book of the Year wow. Award at the end of last year, which was amazing. It's written by two women, four women. Uh, the reason why we wrote that book, um, and I actually had the idea for the book in 2018, but didn't do anything about it, um, was that we recognized, uh, that, um, well, even before we had that stat, we knew just knew that there wasn't as many female property owners as as men. Um, I think the reasons for that are multiple um, and myriad. Um, generally speaking, perhaps until the last ten or twenty years, um, women probably didn't feel that they had the um, expertise to just to, to, to forge out on their own like if we just think about the you know the property investment advice space or the experts operating in this space and educators how much that has changed in the last 10 or 20 years so if you go back before say 2000 um, it's not that surprising then that women there wasn't a lot of expert help out there for you um, so that's probably it women perhaps and, and I've always been a strong proponent and you can't be what you can't see um, so if they didn't have any role models in that space, and let's be honest, property, the property sector and the property investment sector has been heavily male dominated for generations. Not anymore, thankfully. Um, myself as the chair of PIPA, my other friend, Antonia Mercarella, the chair of REOQ, I mean, the CEO of REOQ. 
So, you know, that's changing, but there's probably a little bit of that too, um, that women just didn't feel confident enough to do it. What we wanted to do by writing the book was to educate women. Um, our book is quite different in that we don't, um, we, we, go, we actually um, cover all the different options available for you. Our book is really about education, like we've just, like you just said before, we want women to read our book and we've said it's like the beginning of the of your education of all the things that you need to understand before you decide to invest in property, sure. right? And it's actually after they've read our book, hopefully they'll be able to go, you know what? I actually kind of would say all the different strategies that are out there, I kind of like that strategy. And then they go, okay, well, who are the real bona fide experts in this space? And it could be X, Y, Z. I'm going to start following their content for a while. I might have an exploratory chat with them and take my time. So um, I think it's I think it's a variety of reasons. Um, and what the main reason why we wrote the book was to hopefully inspire the first generation of financially independent women, uh, the, because the financial outcomes for women in 2023 uh, during their working lives and in retirement are still far inferior to men. Um, the gender pay gap doesn't change. Uh, women will always predominantly be the principal caregivers of their children, take time out of the workforce because of biology. Um, if relationships break down, you know, obviously the financial situation for female usually becomes worse. So with all of those things probably not changing a heck of a lot because of biology perhaps, yeah, yeah. what can we do as women to improve our own financial futures? And it's about, okay, well, I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to work out what is the right strategy for me personally. And even if um, they only buy one property, one investment property, or maybe two, the key is to hold them independently as long as possible throughout their lives. And even if they only purchase one or two properties, the financial changes to their life will be significantly better. Yeah. Um so that's kind of yeah. So I don't know if that really answered your question. I think there's a there's so many things you could unpack in time that we don't have available. Um, but I think the tide is turning. It's definitely turning. Women are taking charge, and younger women, especially in their twenties and early thirties, are recognizing that they need to forge their own financial path. And real estate, property investment is a low risk way of doing that. Yeah. That no. That, exactly. Exactly. I, I sort of find, at least with my limited sample size of, of people who I work with, the women that I help, they're almost, and this is a generalization, but they're almost more driven or more focused than their male counterparts. Like they've just had children. Maybe there's a, a, an infant or a newborn, you know, running around. They've sort of realized that, oh, hey, I need to take care of not just me, but now my kids. And maybe, I'm, I'm once again, not generalizing, the husband or the partner is not so much into finance, into mm -hmm. financial independence, into security. And so they're like really taking it on themselves. So I've had so many Zoom calls where, where, where the mother is like, you know, got the kid in, on her lap and she's like trying to understand. And like, that's really commendable. Like if someone is, let's say, breastfeeding and not once again, not to kind of generalize, but it's breastfeeding and, you know, is working a, a job and investing in property like that requires a serious amount of effort. And I think they just need to see more and more women need to see these other people doing it so they can be like, I know my life right. is not that easy, but I too can do it and I need to do it. Otherwise, 
my baby is not going to be able to afford a house in Sydney, that's for sure, in 10 years or 20 exactly. years. Exactly. And, you know, and it's unfortunately quite common and probably quite good in a way that people have different risk profiles and relationships. So someone can be, you know, quite conservative and the other one, another person can be, you know, um, quite a risk taker. And you want to obviously be somewhere in the middle, but you want to be able to meet in the middle. And unfortunately, I've heard of plenty of instances where they've done nothing because they can't agree or someone wants to do lots and the other person doesn't want to do anything, you know. Uh, you make a good point, PK, because, um, you know, women have been the the CFOs of the household for a very long time, you know, and, and another role that they play. And I guess now um, they are also going, okay, well, you know, how do I – uh, improve my family's financial future, um, but also whether if they're already in a partnership or a marriage, um, how do I potentially, you know, keep the finances going so that the family as a whole can be wealthier? What I would really like to see, though, obviously, um, is that women uh, forge out on their own before they have partnered up. Yeah. Um, so they may have one property or maybe two properties um, prior to meeting their significant other. Um, and vitally important that they get, you know, financial advice um, and ensure that if they are going into a relationship um, that they can um, protect those assets that they have prior to the relationship, as men should do as well. Like this, the, you know, mm. every, what I would really like is for, I think I've got a chapter in the book, this utopian vision of two people meeting you know, early-ish in their lives. And their They've 30s. already both got properties. <laughs> They've both got properties. And you're like, okay, well, let's do a, you know, maybe they do a financial binding agreement or whatever. You've got your investment properties over there. We'll join forces and we'll do something together, right? And then maybe yeah. they do a couple of things together, all the while still having their other properties out here. And then maybe after 15 years, you know, the, the relationships run its course um, they may have had children. They may not, not have. They probably they may have only have one asset together. And they go okay. They work out. You know okay. Well, let's just go fifty fifty. We'll split that. I'm going to go back shift in that house. I'm going to go back in that one. Or you're going to buy me out. Whatever the whatever the scenario is. But it's just so much better for everybody if you actually got financial independence from each other. It's to some degree. Otherwise, we always hear about it. And if you're in a certain age bracket like I am, you know you have these horrific protracted divorces and financial settlements that end up in family court or at mediation and you know any potential financial benefits have gone through legal fees um yeah. so i think it's just about e financial equilibrium which we've never had we've never had a financially independent we've never it's had financially term. independent women right mm. and and i so i often say this in interviews you know it's a lofty utopian goal but how amazing would it be you know, if I was helping to inspire a generation, you know, of younger women who will be financially independent throughout their lives, because we've never had that. Well, I mean, they they definitely need more and more good role models, you know, faces like yourselves out there to kind of inspire and educate, lead from the front. And you wrote the other book um, as well, you The Female Investor and then Property Investing for Dummies. How's that different or who's that oh, catered towards? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so Wiley owns the Dummies brands of books, has for decades. And so Wiley published The Female Investor for Kate and I as well. And The Female Investor was only out for a couple of months. And then my editor from Wiley rang me one day and said, oh, we really want to do the new edition, the third edition of Property Investing for Dummies. And you, the only person I want to do it. And I'm like, okay. Like, obviously, my ego was just like, <laughs> you know, yeah, go, baby. <laughs> Little dance. <laughs> I know, right? 
said yes without even having read the previous edition. Um, the previous edition was written 10 years before. Uh, so, and look, writing an updated edition is not as much work as writing a, a book from scratch. Could you imagine, if you think back 10 years ago, and I've been involved in property since 2006, so I've seen all the booms and busts. I've seen, you know, economic downturns. This isn't, you know, my first rodeo at yeah, all. Yeah, it's almost 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but could you imagine, like, if you're updating a book that was written at the ta- just in the midst of, um, I would think it was written in about 2012. So could you imagine what the price points of properties yeah. were? <laughs> We've um, had, we haven't had the two Sydney booms yet. Uh, no, it was before the Sydney boom. Well, actually, yeah. it was probably the Sydney boom was just about to start if you actually knew what we were looking for. Um, <laughs> and Hobart too, actually. Um, the, the price points, like the, the prices in there were like 400 Um, there was, um, references to 105% mortgages back in the days when you used to be able to borrow like the entire cost of the property plus expenses, um, uh, self-managed super funds with a new black, which they are still not giving financial advice, but they are, you know, they're still out there, but they're certainly not as, you know, they were, everyone was like, oh, self-managed super fund lending. Isn't this great? You know? (laughs) 2012, lots of references to the GFC, which was kind of ironic, right? So I was writing it between June June and September, October last year um, and having to edit out references to the GFC and including references to the COVID-19 pandemic mm-hmm. um, and the economic shocks that were associated with both. So whilst quite, quite different, clearly, um, the things that happened to the economy and the levers that were pulled were exactly the same. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was kind of, you know, and it was almost like a walk down memory lane for me, ha- having been involved in property for so long and and certainly heavy and heavily involved in it back in those days. Um, it was just like, oh, man, I've completely forgotten about that. Oh, that's right. Do you know what I mean? So it was yeah. actually quite kind of magical in a way. Um and if you ever, you know, when people sort of are uh, this whole thing about timing the market and things like that, all, you know, I wish in a way that someone would, if they wanted to, buy the old copy because I think they were still on sale until the new copy came out and then buy the new one and then look, do a compare and contrast and look at what has changed in 10 years. And GFC, the sky, the property sky was falling seemingly. We, yeah. Everything was bad news bears. You know, yeah. and here we are 10 years later and I'm having to change price points in there from 400 to 800 and all of these different things. You know, yeah. the, the the interest rates used in that first book or in the second edition had a seven in front of them. Mm-hmm. So it was actually, as I said, it was it was a lot of work. It was probably a bit more work than I was anticipating given that so much had changed. But in a way, it just um, re-energized me um, and it was a, a wonderful refresher for me as well to remind me of all of the things that I have seen before and experienced before and and obviously that provides a, another level of education, uh, yeah. even for me, you know, uh, because real estate property is, is, is fluid, but often it's um, nothing's that new either. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose for, you know, like if you've been in the industry for almost 20 years or even like I I bought my first property in 2011 so not you know not mm-hmm. 20 years but still quite a long time you sort of 
you don't get freaked out about short-term matters, about short-term ups and downs. You don't make long-term decisions based on like a a short-term emotion driven or triggered by a media article. Like I, I understand why people do that if they've not been around for a long time. But like you said, history kind of repeats itself, not in the exact way that it's happened before, but trends, patterns are, you know, often just mirror what's happened previously. Yeah, and you can kind I of mean- just follow that. The only difference this time around is, I guess, is the, the you know, the, the rapid increase in interest rates that we've seen, which, yeah. you know, time will tell sooner rather than later, I think, uh, whether that was appropriate or not. Um, <laughs> smarter people than me uh, comment on that and certainly make those decisions, um, or are they? I'm not too sure, but I'm sure yeah. we'll know a little bit more by the end of this year. Um, but the same, I bought my first property early 2007, um, and... Um, my interest rate at the time, and it was $350,000. I was earning $60,000 a year. Uh, so do those maths. Um, it's nearly six times. I was petrified of that mortgage. Um, but uh, that property, and then I got an interest rate of 7.1%. And everyone was like going, oh, my God, how great's that? You know. <laughs> then just before the GFC hit, we actually had some inflationary issues. And my my, repa- uh, my interest rate went up to 96 you know, um, and I had fixed half of it at the time. I mean, that was the first and last time I, I, I fixed, uh, apart from when we got those stupid rates during COVID, and you'd be stupid if you didn't fix. Um, but, um, yeah, so, you know, you sit back and you recognise all of the things that have happened before. But at the moment, look, I I have all the desire to add to my portfolio at the moment, but no ability to just to secure finance um yeah. because of the assessment um uh, criteria and buffers and things um but geez if i could i really would be out there amongst it at the moment <laughs> i really would Some i just really good buys i'm seeing i know man so like, tempting. i just gotta stop looking at real estate <laughs> listing sites I, I call it property porn um and um i kind of you know i'm obviously in the right profession in the right career but um yeah there's nothing more frustrating than having the desire and the and, and the I guess the expertise and the intelligence to recognise opportunity, but unfortunately, right at this moment, not having the ability yeah. uh, to do it because I already have a portfolio, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So <clears throat> anyway, I'm probably a little off, off topic, but um, yeah, no, uh, the new book um is is well, I, I said to Wiley. Uh, please don't wait another 10 years before we do another update because things <laughs> well, change too quickly. <laughs> I, exactly. I, I was just going to say, like, I'm not, I, I think books are great, you know, like especially property books, but sometimes it's like a book that was a bestseller from 20 years ago and it's like amazing read, really inspiring, yes. but how relevant is it for like I, right now? Yeah. That's kind of my beef with books, but yours are like completely relevant, seems they're very new. And, yes, um, but also the yeah, probably investing for dummies. That probably the, we don't have as many facts and figures in there as the previous edition because I was mindful about not dating it. And the yeah. female investor, um, we have hardly any. In the, I don't even I don't even know if we talk about property like actual property prices because we wanted to make sure that it had longevity. Right, right. As as you know, like an educa- piece of education that women and men look at the end of the day. Female investor is written with a female audience in mind. However, the property investment advice in there is not gender specific. Of course not. Clearly not. <laughs> um, but you know, um, so we were very we, we were we were very mindful of that when we wrote the female investor that we wanted to make sure that it, it you know. But you wouldn't you don't want to date it. But then obviously there's always the opportunity to yeah. Um, if they're doing another print run to make changes anyway. So yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been so good to to chat with you, and I think. Yeah, three three sort of takeaways. 
for anyone who's who's listening one is if you are going to hire someone or pay someone to help you with your journey please take your time please make sure that they're at least a pipper recognized or accredited person or, or company and license of course number one number two is if you're a female or even if you're not a female um go out and at least check out the female investor like i know for myself i'll probably buy it and send it to like my you know just some friends who are females who have kind of been following Thank me and just don't know if they want to take the step into property or not even my my wife you said cfo of the household she is literally the cfo of our company too so she she runs the household but she would love to understand property from a female's perspective i know the facts and figures are gender non specific it applies to everyone but there's just a language a tone uh, mm-hmm. you know a resonance that if it's written in such a way it can you know be more understandable it, it, yeah so, it certainly has a much more narrative style than most property investment books uh because i have a masters in creative writing as well so okay. um, it is actually is much more of a narrative style book than perhaps you would be thinking um sure. in that space yeah that's really important and property investing for dummies i i don't know if if i cater to the audience of property investment dummies but i'm really tempted to get it anyway and just at least <laughs> put it on the bookshelf and open it up every now and then well it's a bit like a bible really without using yeah. you know a religious term but it really is it's a it's a it's a very very you know detailed guide for people uh whether they're first time home buyers or investors or more seasoned investors and things like that to but you know t- talks about tax and 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 various things that we don't really get into in the in the female investor um but yeah certainly has a role to play in dummies books clearly are, are, are very very uh popular and successful around the around the globe um so I'm very happy to uh be a dummies author and there was actually two smaller ones coming out later in the year no, good on you. I mean, yeah, good thank on you for you. doing that. Yeah, I've told a, myself I'm not writing anymore this it's year. It's not but... easy to write a book, right? So good on you oh, for, for saying yes and then figuring it out later. <laughs> I know, you, you know, and there's so many times that you've sort of said yes to things and then you kind of go, oh, what have I done? Uh, but anyway, you just had to eat an elephant a bite at a time. I think that's a fun way to live life. Say yes, figure it out later. That's right. Otherwise, you'll regret too many things in life. But <laughs> I, guys, I follow uh, Nicola on LinkedIn. Like that's kind of where I kind of follow her updates and posts and stuff. Um, Nicola McDougall, you can go check her out. And and how do people find out more about Pippa? Yeah, well, if you could just go to the Pippa website, which is pipa.asn.au, we also are on LinkedIn uh, and Facebook. But your LinkedIn for me professionally is kind of where I'm at. I do have some other social media things associated with the books and and whatnot, but I've just found, you know, um, that LinkedIn for me is the best place um because i do have i do wear quite a few different hats yeah, yeah, yeah. now you <laughs> are a very 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 busy year. person i can see that from your different activities that you do but i'm very grateful that you've taken time out nicola uh that we this went over the time that i expected but i'm grateful for every minute of it i appreciate it a lot yeah i always said no one cares about your financial future as much as you do yourself That's whether right. you're male or female so take responsibility and get educated um well thank you so much nicola great thanks mate Cheers. Okay.